Our scripture reading for this evening, as it relates to Lord's Day 12, uh, question and answer 31 and 32, is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. People of God, hear now God's holy word. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. The scripture reading that we just heard brings us back to that pivotal scene at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? where he reads a scroll from reading from Isaiah 61, chapter 1 to 2. And and Jesus makes this uh, pronouncement explaining that this prophecy is fulfilled in him. And yet, instead of that being uh, a moment to celebrate, I mean, those who were there that day were initially amazed about what they heard, but soon they realized that this was just a man they knew in the neighborhood. I mean, they're asking, well, what is he talking about? He, he's clearly out of his mind. And, and so they were determined to throw Jesus off a cliff. And why? Well, because they were blind, right? Their, their, their hearts couldn't see the prophecies being fulfilled in him. For Jesus is saying, well, he's no, I'm no longer simply Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter that you once knew in the neighborhood, but... I am the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah that the scripture pointed to from ancient of days who would finally change everything. For the time had come in that moment in redemptive history to begin his ministry that continues today fulfilling what he was ordained to do. And because he was anointed by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, he became our great prophet, priest, and king. And that's what question 31 in our catechism will answer. And when we understand that Christ is anointed as our prophet, priest, and king, we can then see how his threefold office will impact our roles as as Christians, which we find in question 32, right? Why are you called a Christian? Right? Why are you called a Christian? And and those question and answers are are really helpful to give us a biblical language, right? A a clearer focus of what Christ does and what our roles really are, right? Being united to Christ, then identify, identify us as Christians. 
especially when explaining what Christ is doing now and what Christians are to be doing in this life and what they will be doing when Christ returns. Because today, there, there's just so much you know, con- confusion and, and misconception about Christ and our roles as Christians. And as our world gets you know, smaller and, and smaller and our lives get really busier and busier, it's easy for us to get distracted. And it's easy for many to believe that Christ is irrelevant, right? Because we simply don't see him. Or maybe he's just, you know, he's sitting around in heaven just waiting to come back. And so Christians can easily default to let's just figure out our own roles, right? Let's just figure out our own thing until he returns. But that's why our reform catechism is helpful to to point us to scripture, right? To give us a much clearer focus about why Christ is our prophet, priest, and king. And and how it impacts our roles to be prophet, priest, and kings because of Christ. And to help us understand that, we can divide our topic into two parts. uh, The offices of Christ and the offices of Christians, the offices of Christ and the offices of Christians. And what we mean by the offices of Christians here in question 32 is not merely the, the special offices, right, that are designated to the officers in the church. That's not what we're talking about, like the ministers or the elders and the deacons, but rather the, the general offices of all Christians, right, of all believers to be Christ-like prophet, priest, and king. And so that's why the moment you become a Christian, you can say to people with confidence who ask you, well, what do you do? Well, you, you can tell them, well, my job is to be an officer, right? And then you can explain, well, what that means is, I mean, I'm an officer in a general sense in the church as a Christian to be prophet, priest, and king. And so now you can talk about your faith in that way, and that will certainly Right, intrigue people because that's uncommon to talk about your faith. And it's another way to talk about really the gospel. And so with that being said, we want to look first about what our catechism says about the offices of Christ. And we see that when we look at question 31, why is he called Christ meaning anointed? Right? Why is he called Christ meaning anointed? And the answer we see there in the beginning, shows us two reasons that qualify him to, be, uh, to have the threefold office, which is by ordination and by being anointed, right? We read there, because he has been ordained by God. In other words, Christ was ordained to be our mediator that involved executing this threefold office. And really to be ordained, as one Reformed minister explains, is simply to be designated, right? appointed or, or called to those offices. And, and when Christ was called from eternity past in the covenant of redemption, you know, Christ, he never doubted his call, right? He never questioned the Father's will. He, he never thought to himself, well, I, I don't want to do this, right? It's just too costly. It's, it's just too risky. But he responded out of obedience and love. Because his task would indeed require for him to be in a position of humiliation before exaltation. Especially when Paul says in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself of the glory, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. 
And uh, we also read in Hebrews chapter 3 too, uh, Christ was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. And so, beloved, that's why he's qualified in that sense, because he has been ordained by God, and he responded to that calling for us. And in the second sense of his qualification is that he has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And we've already seen that in Luke chapter 4, right? When Jesus read the Isaiah scroll that he pronounces, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And so when we think about these, this idea of anointing, right, it brings to our mind in the Old Testament how the anointing of prophets, priests, and king really foreshadowed the anointing and, and the fulfilling of all three offices in Christ. That when Israel's servants were called by God uh, as a sign of their appointment to the office, it's anoint, they do it with anointing with oil. And, and we see that in anointing of priests like Aaron in Leviticus chapter 8, 12, when Moses poured oil on his head to consecrate him. Or, or in David's appointment as king in 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen, when Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord did what? Rushed upon David from that day forward. And so notice how the anointing with oil symbolizes, right? What it symbolizes is how the Holy Spirit will set apart and equip those for who are appointed to those offices. And, and so in the same way, it's like when Jesus was called to the task of prophet, priest, and king in his ministry, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, right? That, that dove, remember that, that dove that was descended upon him in his baptism. And why? Well, that's to be equipped, right? To be set apart for the threefold office. And, and it's not that Jesus lacked power in his divinity, but it, it was for the purpose of his humanity, right? To be perfectly equipped by the Spirit to fulfill what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, and so you see, this is why Jesus is called Christ, meaning anointed, right? It's not the misconception that Jesus uh, is his first name and then Christ is his last name, right? No, I mean, uh, Christ is, is really actually a title from the Greek, which means anointed one, right? It's a title. It's, it's not a last name like we think. No, it, it's the equivalent in that is, in the Hebrew is Messiah, and that's why um, if we recall, when Jesus asked Peter, well, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, he's saying, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one, the son of the living God, the one that we've been waiting for. And so you see, but on the opposite end, the response to Christ, the anointed one, is what? Hostility, isn't it? That's why we saw earlier in Luke chapter 4 that his folks in his hometown wanted to throw him off a cliff because he's claiming the title that the Jews expected from only one person. But the problem is, and for many skeptics today, is that they do not see the Messiah in Jesus. And so now that we know how Christ is qualified for the threefold office by seeing by being ordained by God and then being anointed by the Holy Spirit 
Well, what are the three offices? Well, first, we see the role of Christ as our prophet, in which he is anointed to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. And so you see, and and what is the function of the prophet, right? Especially when we know that there were many of them in the Old Testament. Well, I like, as one theologian helpfully defines the role of the prophet, a, a prophet is a representative of God in speaking to men, right? In, in other words, the prophet is God's spokesman. He is God's mouthpiece. As I remember this, this morning, right, we looked at the prophet Hosea, didn't we? Right? And we saw how when the word of the Lord came to Hosea, and it's really a signal for those who are called to be God's prophet, that they are to speak only God's word. They would say to God's people, thus saith the Lord, because that's what they receive from the Lord, followed by the pronouncement. And so it isn't their opinion, right, or wishful thinking, nor is it only a a prophecy that simply foretells about the future, right? It It isn't always about the future, No, I mean, because we saw in Hosea, right, the prophets are also like covenant lawyers, right? They are pronouncing the sin of God's people. They pronounce blessing and curse, and they were called, then they call people to repentance. Yet even the line of the Old Testament prophets had to eventually end because the prophets in their message anticipated a greater prophet, right? A prophet greater than Moses. And that's why when Jesus came, he never said, thus says Yahweh. Why? Well, he says in his Sermon on the Mount, well, you heard that it was said to those, old, to those of old, but I say to you. So in other words, Jesus speaks on his own authority. He is the Lord. He was the one who spoke in the Old Testament, and he's the same Lord that spoke in the New Testament. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, the writer says, writer says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so, in other words, Jesus, who spoke at the beginning, who spoke all throughout redemptive history through inspired writers, has the last word, right? That's why Christ is our last and chief prophet and teacher because he is the one who fully reveals the secret counsel and will of God, which is what? It's redemption. It's our redemption that he accomplishes and preserves through his word, through his complete written word. And how does he continue to make known both the bad news and the good news in his word? Well, it's by his spirit, isn't it? Right? by which he illuminates for us his truth in Scripture. And so that's why every time we prepare our hearts to hear God's word on Sunday, right, when the minister leads a prayer of illumination so that we may ask the Spirit to make his word clear to us, to hear both law and gospel, to hear Christ and him crucified. And so after knowing the role of Christ as our prophet, we see in our catechism the second office, which is the role of Christ as our priest. Right? But, he's not the sa- but really, he's not the same kind of priest in the Old Testament. 
not in the order of the Levitical priesthood, because that was part of the Old Covenant. And that's why the book of Hebrews is about revealing how the Old Covenant, which, is in, which included the Levitical priesthood, has expired. Right? It had an expiration date. That the Old Covenant and its sacrificial system is no longer effective. For the writer of Hebrews tells us that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so we are now in the new covenant with a better priest. We have a better priest after the order of Melchizedek. For we hear the promise of a better priest in Psalm 110. says that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so that's why we read in our catechism that Christ has been anointed to be our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father. You see, Christ isn't like the Levitical priest who need to be daily cleansed by offering animal sacrifice for himself for himself and for the sins of his people. No, but rather as the high priest, he is the perfect, he is holy, he is the only perfect righteous one who does not need animal sacrifice for his own sins. But rather he offered himself as the last sacrifice for sin once and for all. And not only is he the once and for all sacrifice, but he is the eternal ascended high priest who has unrestricted access to the holies of holies in heaven. Because in the old covenant, the old temple, holy of holies, the high priest was limited to enter uh, once a year on the day of atonement, right? But Christ has broken the veil of the holies of holies. And, And that's in heaven. And it's there he provides us unlimited access to himself who intercedes for us, who advocates for us, especially when we're accused by Satan or when we feel that our faith is weak. When we feel that our faith is weak, we we indeed have an advocate, right? Our high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and knows what it feels like to endure temptation and, and trials in the Christian life. And so isn't that wonderful that we have such a counselor, such an intercessor, That you can talk to Jesus, especially when you feel that no one understands you. That you can pour out your heart to him and be comforted that he hears you and he answers you according to his will. For Jesus is the only one who really knows what's best for you. And so, not only is Christ our high priest, but... Christ, finally, we see in his threefold office, is anointed to be our eternal king. And and we see that in our catechism, the role of our eternal king, in which he governs us by his word and spirit, guards us and keeps us in the deliverance he has won for us. And so there's two things that our king does for us, right? He, there, he governs us and he guards us. He governs us and he guards us. And I like how Kevin DeYoung Uh, describes his governing by his word and spirit. And I like how he makes that relationship, the importance of the relationship between the word and spirit. And he says, listen to this. He says, the word without without spirit is dead letter. And, And spirit without word 
is hopeless relativism, right? In other words, without the word, right, you end up doing whatever you think is right. And without the spirit, though you have the word, you don't have that spiritual sanctifying power to live according to the word. And so not only does he governs us, right, but he also guards us. And the wonderful truth about how he guards us is that he protects us because he redeemed us, right? Knowing that we were once under the dominion of Satan, we have been bought by Christ under his rule in our hearts. Because before, in our depravity, like Adam after the fall, we didn't have the ability to resist sin. But now in Christ, we have the freedom not to sin. And why? Because now he promises to guard us, right? To keep us from falling away so that even in the face of death, our eternal souls are secure. And that's why we have the promise of perseverance when the Apostle Paul says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved... Knowing now the glorious truths about Christ as our great prophet, our high priest, and our eternal king, how should that impact really our identity in Christ? How should that impact our understanding of what it means to be a Christian? Well, we see the answers in question 32, don't we? We read uh, that we're called Christians because by faith we are members of Christ and so we share in his anointing. And so you see the fulfillment of Christ and his threefold office, why its office is crucial, why it's important. Because when he justified us, the spirit unites us to himself by faith. And because we are united with Christ, who is anointed, fulfilling all uh, three offices, then it's true that we share in his anointing to be image bearers of Christ, to fulfill those roles in our lives. And we see that promise in 1 John chapter 2.27, which says, The anointing that you, have, that you receive from him abides in you. And so that's that promise there, that the anointing that you receive abides in you. And so remember, Bella, we don't just fulfill these roles in our own strength, but through the Spirit of Christ who sanctifies us to be like him, to be like prophet, priest, and king in his kingdom. And that's what we have been saved to do. Not just to be forgiven and granted his righteousness, but saved for good works out of gratitude. To be conformed to the image of Christ. And so our role as prophet is that we are to confess, really, his name. Right? And it's not only for the minister who gets up here and preaches every Sunday, or the Bible teachers who teaches in the churches and the seminaries, but it's for all of us to confess his name, to confess everything that he teaches us in his word. And that's why what we need really is Bible knowledge, right? We need biblical language, and it's not only Bible knowledge, but to know the Christian faith as summarized in our creeds and our Reformed confessions and catechisms, because really those are faithful summaries of, of the Christian faith. And so that Everything Christ taught us is about his revelation himself becomes really ingrained in our everyday life, in our actions, in what we say, in how we express our Christian worldview, whether you know, it's to family members or in our relationships, 
or whether in our various callings in, in society, in which knowing him through his word really gives us the ability to be prophets who can truly confess his name. And so not only really are we prophets, but we also have the role as priests, right? In which our catechism tells us that we are anointed to present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life. And so our living sacrifice of thanks really is our gratitude for salvation in Christ, isn't it? Our gratitude for salvation in Christ. And like Jesus, our prophet, we are to live a life of holiness. Uh, And that's what the priests of the Old Testament really had to strive for, to, to strive for holiness, which they could never obtain in their office because of sin. But, you know, thanks be to God that now we have really the righteousness of Christ, right, his satisfaction, holiness, and we have the spirit. We have now that spirit of sanctification which we can resist sin, which we can live a life of holiness, although not perfect, but being sanctified by his spirit. And so finally, beloved, we see our third role, our role as king to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity when he returns. And beloved, that is the hope that we rule with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, meaning that we're not just going to, um, when we, whenever we die and, you know, we're waiting, uh, we're not simply thinking, oh, we're not, what are we going to do in heaven, right? What, what are the things that we're going to do? Is, is heaven going to be boring? You know, are we just going to be floating in the clouds? Well, no, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth that we're going to be reigning with Christ. And that's really what our hearts long for is that new home to be with Christ, to reign with him in glory and honor. And so that's what's going to happen. That's that promise of the new heavens and the new earth, restoring really our completely our dominion over creation that was lost in the garden. And so, beloved, in conclusion, conclusion, it should be our joy and and our comfort knowing that when we understand Christ to be our prophet and our priest and king, we have confidence that Christ is really working for us and, and transforming us to be like him, So that whatever circumstance you find yourself in, in the Christian life, know that he strengthens you by his grace and his mercy. And that he grants us to share in his anointing so that now he works in you for his good pleasure and his glory alone forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Our merciful God, thank you for speaking to us through your word. For revealing to Christ our prophet, priest, and king. May you grant us all, all of us the grace that we may not be mere hearers of your word, but doers to be as prophet, priest, and king. Father, give us the grace to fear you with awe and reverence. And may you empower us, empower us now by your spirit to be faithful in keeping your statutes. May we bring glory and honor to your name in all that we do. As you conform us to the image of your Son, we pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.